Morning, all. Morning. Morning to those of you watching at home as well. We are in our third week, I guess, of this series, The Firm Foundation. We sang about it as well this morning. Core beliefs. And the one we're going to look at this morning is, I think Jason mentioned this, uh, is the person of Jesus Christ. Okay? The person of Jesus Christ. Um, like the Trinity, if you were here last Sunday, I said it's the first time I'd given a message on the Trinity. Um, Jesus, too, the person of Jesus, in other words, who is Jesus, is himself a mystery, right? He's a mystery. That is, there's no one quite like him, fully God. That's what the Bible says. That's what we're going to explore this morning. Fully God and fully man. That was not true of him before a birth in Bethlehem. But has been true, the Bible says, ever and ever since. Let's look at a verse that you've seen before, Luke 1.35. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, this is to Mary, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the one to be born will be called the Son of God. Okay, now you've all heard that message before, even if you've never been to church before, other words, you've heard that at Christmas time. But I want you to think about it. In a, in a different way this morning. This is the basis of our fundamental belief that God is in the person of Jesus, right? He's not just, he was a human being, became a human being. He is fully human, right? This is how it happened. Uh, the, we call this the virgin birth. But he is also, right, at the same time, fully God. Right? Think about that. Let that, you know, think about the strangeness of that, how in deeply beyond imagination that is, right? That the, the, our Savior, our Lord, the person at the center of the Christian faith, right? We, our, we say our mission statement is inviting people into a life changing relationship with Jesus. This person, Jesus, it is claimed to be, right? It's very central to our faith, is both fully God, eternal, we talked about that last Sunday, and fully human at the same time. I want that to sink in. Uh, Try to let it sink in this morning as I spend the next few minutes in this sermon. Now, here's our statement. We've been talking about statements of belief. What are our core beliefs? Certainly not unique to Browncroft, but the core beliefs of our faith. We believe that Jesus Christ was begotten of the Holy Spirit and born of Mary while she was still a virgin and that he is true God and true man, okay? True God and true man. Now, I can't, beyond what those verses just said, okay, I can't explain that to you, right, tease that out for you, right, philosophically or otherwise, theologically even. I can't tease that out to you any more than I could have teased out for you last week the Godhead, Right, The God-man, Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, isn't any easier for me to tease out than the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, three in one. But I want to say a few words and can say a few words about how critically important this core belief is to your experience today and my experience with the gospel, which is really why we're here. I think the real reason we get up on a Sunday or on a Monday and open God's word and hear God's word is to have a greater experience with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I would say to you that this is a core belief because it's central, the fact that Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man to your experience, to my experience with the gospel. So three things I want to do in my short time I have left here this morning. 
in this series or this message about Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man. Number one, who is Jesus? Number two, why did he have to become human? Okay, he didn't, his, his, his existence didn't start in a manger in Bethlehem. Why did he have to become human, and how does that help you today? Who is Jesus? Why did he have to become human, and how can he help you and help me today? First point, the Bible says, there is no one, no one like Jesus. There is no one. What do I mean by that? There is no one like Jesus. Jesus is not, as the Bible presents him, he's not half God and half man. Okay? That would be a natural way to think about it. But that's not what the Bible says. Jesus is not half God and half man, or he's sometimes God and sometimes man, maybe like a, a superhero, right? It's the last thing I think of. I don't know, you know, I don't know much about superheroes, but you know, uh, uh, he's not sometimes Dr. Bruce Banner, if I got the name right, and, and then sometimes the Incredible Hulk, right? That's not the way the Bible talks about Jesus. He is fully God, fully God, and fully man, always and at the same time. Wow. Try to wrap your mind around that. You can't. Why? Because there's no one else like Jesus. There's never been anyone like him ever in the history of the world, period. There's no analogy I can bring to you, but it's still important for you and important to me if you're a Christian and you want to follow him and experience the gospel at deeper levels to understand this great truth. Fully God, fully man, always at the same time. This was also one of the great crises of the early church. I mentioned this last week that the Trinity was big crises, you know, uh, the, the councils of Nicaea, the Apostles' Creed. There were seven great ecumenical councils. I'm talking about the early church, third, fourth, fifth century. The biggest of those, many of us wouldn't remember this in our history, but the biggest of those was the last one it's called the, the, the Council of Chalcedon, modern-day Istanbul. And the purpose of this great gathering, crisis of the church. Remember, the church is not that big, okay? It's just beginning to grow, first couple hundred years. This one was not the Trinity. They'd sort of solved that one, you know, in the fourth century. This was on the humanity of Jesus. They said, listen, right? There's, there, think about it. The Bible had only been around in 66 books, 100 years or so, when I'm talking about in the, in the middle of the, of the fifth century. This is, you know, these things that we take for granted, although we may not fully understand them, my point of this series, the church was coming to grips with this. They didn't have 2,000 years of history to stand on and say all these smart people have believed this and the church has grown and the proof is in the pudding. They didn't have what you and I have. They're trying to make sense of this. And they all got together and said, listen, this whole thing about Jesus Christ was fully God and fully man. We're not so sure this makes sense. Now, the, 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 the crisis... There was a series of heresies, I won't bore you with the names, but they were basically focused on the fact that we don't think God could be a man. It, now, it wasn't that the Bible didn't say that. We just read a verse. We could read other ones. In other words, it was pretty clear that the Bible stated this. Jesus was born of a virgin, etc. He, you know, the one that will be conceived in her. Use this language in Matthew. Conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She became pregnant. As wild as this sounds when you read it. This is what Matthew says. You will be, she will become pregnant by the Holy Spirit. 
That's what the Bible says. So it wasn't a mystery that the Bible said this, but the reason it was a crisis was, maybe you can appreciate this, was that it wasn't so much what the Bible said. It just was, it was kind of offensive. If I told you, you know, I went and knocked, brought your neighbor over or your brother over and said, listen, I got something to tell you. This, this person, he's the son of God, right? You'd say, you're kidding me, right? That would be underwhelming. I don't want my neighbor to be the son of God. I don't want my brother to be the son of God. I don't want that. Why don't we want that? Because we want God to be something other than who we are. We want God to be something far bigger than we are, far more important than we are. I don't want to think that God is someone just like me. If you remember the name Joan Osborne, singer, in the, she's still around, but in the 90s, probably her biggest song was called One of Us. And it was nominated for a few Grammys, and, and the, the lyrics of the song went like this. What if God was one of us? Just a slob like one of us. Just a stranger on a bus trying to make his way home. That was the lyric of the song. And it was a big song nominated for Grammys, and I remember a young minister listening to that song. In one sense, it was um, provocative, right? What if God was like one of us? And in a sense, right, there's a sense in which reading the Gospels, Jesus was a guy riding on a bus, walking the streets of Galilee, right? But also, that song, that lyric, if you listen to it, it also was offensive in a sense, because when I think of a, of a human being, I think of the first thing I think of is, is, I don't, is, is my sinfulness. I don't want a God who thinks dirty thoughts. I don't want a God who tells lies. I don't want a God who cheats. I don't want a God like that. I want a God who's above all of that because I need help. But see, here's the problem with you and me and everybody else when we think about human nature. God is human. There's 1,189 chapters in the Bible. Okay, 11,800, I didn't count them, someone else told me that, but there's 1,189 chapters, only four of them, only four of them, all but four of them, I should say, take place in a broken, sinful, fallen world, okay? The first two and the last two. But let me say something about the first, and see, that's where you and I live. So we assume that when I talk about human, it means Sin, it means failure, it means lies, it means corruption. That's what I think. But that's not what God created. The first two and the last two chapters, you see humanity, and it is two ears, two eyes, and a nose. It is humanity, but it's not all defined by sin. See, Jesus Christ does not share in your sin, but he shares in your nature. Once you embrace that, okay, once you make room for that, you begin to see it, fully God and fully man, everywhere in the pages of the gospel. Let me give you one quick example. Many of you have heard this story before. It's in Matthew chapter eight, but it's the story of the, the calming of the storm, right? This is very early on, and Jesus has this whole, it's kind of this great ministry day. This is the, 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 you know, the early days when everything's going wonderful, and Jesus is in Capernaum. It's kind of his ministry center, and he goes out there, and from morning till night, they're healing people. I mean, it's a festival. It's a phenomenon. People, it says the whole town came out, and, and everyone that had a problem in this town was healed. It's unbelievable. And when it's all done, 
Jesus, at the end of the evening, Jesus gets into a boat with his disciples. You've all heard this story. And it's kind of like, let's take a little break. Let's get in the boat and let's just get some time alone. So they get into the boat. I'm sure God, the providence, all the rest of this is, is God's providence. And then it says, Matthew chapter eight, a furious storm rises up. So much so, if you read the account, that waves were coming over the side of the boat. And the waves were coming over the side of the boat. A furious storm, that's what it says. But in the stern, Jesus was asleep. The very human Jesus, right? But this storm is so wild, the way it's described, that his disciples, who made their living on this uh, sea, who were professional fishermen, who'd seen a few storms in their time, it must have been so incredible, so unusual, a furious storm, water coming over the side, that they come to Jesus, right? We don't want to disturb him, but they, say, they don't say Jesus, just FYI, in case your sleep's being interrupted, there's a storm. They say, Jesus, help us. We are going to drown. And Jesus says this. Friends, why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid? And it said he stood up, he rebuked the winds, and everything was calm. Now, verse 27. The men were amazed, speaking of the 12 disciples, and asked themselves, what kind of man is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? You're supposed to, there's a lot of things we can learn from this, but one I hope you, you get from reading the Gospels is the disciples, kind of like you and me, do you think they really knew who Jesus Christ was when they hung around him? No, they didn't. Right? No, they didn't. They eventually figured it out. Jesus would say to himself, to, to them, I should say, at the Last Supper that extended discourse, guys, listen. Ladies, listen. There's a lot that I've said that is kind of going to go over your head. You don't have the capacity to bear everything that I'm saying, but hang in there because I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit and eventually you'll figure this out. They didn't know. They loved his teaching. They saw his miracles. They'd never seen anything like it. Right? They'd never seen anything like it would have been true if you and I were there, if you follow, read the early Gospels. But did they know that this guy on the bus, you know, the guy who had a zip code, he had brothers and sisters, his mother's name was Mary, his father was a carpenter named Joseph, he had a zip code. Did they think that this guy was fully God and fully man? Of course they didn't think that because they had no precedent for that. Okay? What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. What I would say to you guys is this is the fundamental question of the gospel. Okay? That's why I'm asking, raising it this morning. It's the fundamental question of the gospel, as is, by the way, the question that Jesus asked the verse before it. Why are you so afraid? See, they go together. In fact, if, if there's a takeaway from this sermon, they say, when in seminary, they say, every good sermon ought to be answering a question. Here's the question. Why are you so afraid? That's the question of the sermon. And the answer to that is, what kind of man is this? Well, what kind of man is this, according to the Bible, right? Well, let me just highlight it for you. He's weary. He's thirsty. He's hungry. 
He's sad at times. He's troubled in spirit. He's brokenhearted at the death of a friend. John chapter 11. He's forsaken by his father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But he's also someone who can speak to a hurricane in one word, and it comes to a stop. There was no one like Jesus. There's no one that even comes close. Buddha, uh, Mohammed, uh, Tom Brady, (laughs) whatever. I mean, nobody comes close. Whoever it is that you follow, whoever it is that you think is great, or your friend, there's there's no one that even comes close. There's no category. Is if he is your savior, and if he is the Lord of your life, okay, Christian, if he's the Lord of your life, why are you so afraid? There's no one like Jesus. Second thing this passage tells us, this truth tells us, is Jesus lived for you before he died for you. Okay? Hebrews 2, 14 through 18. Listen to these words. He lived for you before he died for you. Don't rush the gospel. You're going to miss half of it. Since the children have flesh and blood, he's talking about human beings, writer of the book of Hebrews, he too, Jesus, shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. So he describes the whole human race. All those who were held in slavery by the fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants, human beings. For this reason... He had to be made like them. He had to be, central to the gospel, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest, an advocate, in service to God, the Father, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Now listen carefully. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted. I don't like a God that has tempted. Well, then you you don't like Jesus. When he suffered, when he was tempted, he is able, now you're going to like him, I hope, to help those who are being tempted. What fascinates me about this passage and many others like it, it's not the only one, is the focus is not on how Jesus' death helps you, which of course it does. It mentions the atonement of sins in verse 17. Don't get me wrong. But the focus is not on how his death helps you, it's how his life that he lived helped you and helps you, okay? Jesus lived for you before he died for you. Why? He shared in their humanity. This is the, the, I'm writing directly from this verse. He had to be made like them fully human in every way. Now listen very carefully. What does that mean? He was fully, had to be, had to be central to the gospel. He had to be fully human in every way. What does that mean? Two eyes, two ears, a nose? I think he did have two eyes, two ears, and a nose, but that's not what it means. It means he had to become vulnerable to fear, to rejection, to deep disappointment, even to death. Because the people he helps like you and me, whether we admit it or not, 
spend their whole lives trying to escape death. Think about our culture, not just ours, it's not new. Oh my goodness. Our whole lives we're lying to ourselves, trying to escape the fear of death. Listen to these words. And I bet you never heard a sermon on Hebrews 5, 7 through 9. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he lived for you before he died for you. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And was heard because of his reverent submission, son though he was, capital S, in other words, he was God the Son, he had learned obedience from what he suffered. Now, is he trying to say, he's not trying to imply that Jesus was ever disobedient. He learned obedience by the things he suffered. But that in his very real sufferings, in his very real temptations, he had to learn to trust God just like you do. Okay? God the Father. That's what he's trying to say. He faced his fears and his temptations not through his divine power. Remember what he said? I could call down legions of angels if I wanted to right now and get off this cross. He didn't do that. Could have done that because he's fully God and fully man. But he faced his temptations not through his divine power but by his faith in his Father. In his case, though, here's the difference between Jesus and everybody else. He endured temptations to the full force all the way until the end. See, what I do, I succumb. That's what you do. You get so far, it's a story of our lives, whatever it is, right? And we succumb, we give up, we capitulate. But if we believe what the Bible says about Jesus, he was tempted in every way, but he saw it all the way to the end. My, uh, my first church, uh, before I came to Browncroft, I was, a, a, I was an associate minister, not the senior pastor. Great church, big church, and um, they embraced this leadership program, okay? Seems like forever ago, but they embraced this leadership program. And um, it was by invitation only, not everyone on our staff did it, but I was invited to go. It's after a few years of being there, and they said, Rob, we'd love for you to do this if you want to do this. You know, it costs some money. It was a, it was a, you know, a, a several-day, six-day thing you, you go to. And um, I said, great, I'm in. You know, didn't really do my homework. You know, they had to fill out all these forms, and it was, it was, there was a cost to it. But I just figured, hey, you're asking me to go, I'm in. I can do anything. Let's go. So I get into this program, and, and I would say this program was kind of one-third leadership you know, um, principles and skills, and really two-thirds of it was deep-dive personal exploration, you know, kind of family of origin stuff, real fun, right? And, and basically trying to unearth how it is that you function as a human being and how that, meets, how that um, manifests itself in your leadership. In other words, it was pretty uncomfortable, right? It wasn't what I thought it was going to be. I probably should have read the brochure, right? <laughs> so uh, about two-thirds of the way into that experience. Now, I didn't have to do it. It wasn't required for my job. And it was a Christian-based thing, but I, I didn't have to do it. But I got up one morning. Six, the whole thing was a six-day. It was like a week-long thing. I got up about five in the morning, and I said, I've had enough. I got in my car, drove home. 
About two hours later, I get a phone call from a very good friend of mine, uh, also a member of the staff. He, he had gone through it years before, you know, in a so, you know, small uh, grapevine or whatever, small, uh, one of the facilitators gave him a call. He called me. He said, hey, how you doing? And he said, uh, I, uh, you know, got word you broke camp, you know, kind of thing, and, uh, and just wanted to check in. Well, I immediately, I was ready, you know. I mean, uh, this is the dumbest thing ever, and why do we have to do this, and this isn't what I thought it was, and this is stupid. And so he let me rattle on for about five minutes. He said, okay. But, of course, he'd gone through it, so I couldn't, I had to, you know, be very, I couldn't, you know, uh, stretch the truth in any way. He, he, he'd gone through this experience. And he said, well, let me just say this. You know, I've done that, and, and I'm just suggesting to you it's possible that maybe the real reason you wanted to get up and leave is because it was really um, because of your own fears. And I only say that because I went through it. And about the same time, I was ready to cut uh, bait and leave as well. But I just want to say this to you, having gone through this. I think, um, I know what the next couple days would look like. I think you can do it. I think this will benefit you. And I think it would be worth your time, and I'm praying for you. And that was it. Well, of course, I got back on in my car, and I finished. And I would say this to you. I would say it was one of the most meaningful experiences, helpful experiences in my young ministry life that has dividends to this day. What this passage is saying is this. Jesus Christ, the one who was weary and tired and and frustrated and sad and was forsaken by his father and was tempted in every way just like you, but without sin, he finished every seminar. He finished every challenge. He held the weight bar up there more than anybody else did. He's seen every temptation to the end, and he's able to help those who are being tempted. Okay, yeah, amen. That's the God that you have if you understand it. There's no one like Jesus he lived for you before he died for you, right? He's walked this life ahead of you so that you and I can find strength in our help in time of need, okay? Third point, last point, you have full access to God, to Jesus, for help in times of need. You have full access. Are you taking advantage of it? Verse 15 of the fourth chapter of Hebrews. For we do not have a high priest. That's the way with the metaphor they're using for Jesus. In other words, he's, a, he's an advocate. The high priest, right? The whole system of Judaism came to an end. I'm not a priest. They don't call me Father Rob. The whole system of priesthood went away when Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He says, there's only one. You only need one priest. Advocate to the Father. His name is Jesus. For we do not have a high priest who is, listen carefully, unable to empathize with our weaknesses. Right? He did ride the bus. Right? He faced the challenges. He just didn't sin. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted, listen carefully, in every way. Not my words, the Bibles. In just as, did Jesus suffer sexual temptation? Well, either, he, either I believe this or I don't. Did Jesus ever think about cheating, lying, sleeping in, you know, skipping church, you know, I don't know, whatever? Did he? I think he did. Every way, yet he did not sin. He held that up there all the way, right? 
Okay? He did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in times of need. Paraphrase. Get yourself out of your chair to God and to Jesus and get help. Okay? That's what he's trying to say. This picture, or picture, this series of pictures has always fascinated me. This is a picture of the, of course, the 35th president of the United States. This picture was taken in October of 1963. The only time, as I know, there's a series of pictures of JFK and his kids, his two young kids. And, uh, but here's what amazes me about this picture, what I love about it. You know, it's, it's um, the most powerful man in the world at the time, let's say, more or less, giving an order, kind of looks like he's giving an order to somebody, while his three-year-old son, right, is sitting at his feet, no appointment necessary, no reason necessary, no, he doesn't even need an agen- a reason to be there. Why is he there? Because of his relationship with his father, right, and because his father loves him, right? He doesn't need an appointment. Either do you, okay? Either do you. Jesus Christ, this, the Bible tells us, these passages, he's the high priest. And he not only gives you full access to God, that's great, but he also knows what it means to be a human being. He knows what it means to struggle. He knows what it means to want to quit. He knows what it means to want to, to give in, to succumb, to say, I've had enough. He knows what it means to face fear. Remember Hebrews chapter 5? With cries and tears because of his death. Either you believe that's true or you don't, but if you do, it tells you that Jesus Christ faced his death and cried out to God. Remember the great prayer in Gethsemane? If there's another way out of this, let's take it. That's the human Jesus. But then watch the the God-man. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Okay? That's what we're called to do. And we can do that better with Jesus as our Savior. In every situation in which we struggle... You can, I can reflect on the life of Jesus. If you read it, I hope you do. We're in the book of Mark in 365 right now. Get, with the, get the program, friends. Okay? If, you, if you believe that, in every situation where you struggle, think about what's in between the stories that are here. In other words, think about the life of Jesus. Think about what we just learned from Hebrews chapter four, that he was tempted in every way. He walked every road, rode every bus, faced everything that you and I can face, but he did it and he succeeded all the way to the end, okay? And if you think about that, then you can come to him, a faithful, merciful high priest, right? who has access to the most powerful person in the world, that is God the Father, your Father, my Father, and he can come and give you help. Right? Every great sermon, my, my professor told me, has a question at the heart of it. Here's my question. Why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid? To live the kind of life 
a different kind of life, right? Not the kind of life that's being offered by this world, not with the limitations of this world, not with all the 10,000 reasons to want to just sit home and do nothing, right? Because of, listen, we have a God who has experienced it at all, who can come and give us the power to do things you could never do on your own. And you have access to him every day, uh, including this day. So let's take advantage of it, right? Let's take advantage of it. Where do you need help and strength? Because he himself suffered and he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted, right? Where are you being tempted to give up, to capitulate, to succumb, to go with the herd, to go with the crowd, you know, to give in to your fears? Where do you need God's strength? Because you have a champion who can help you um, do things that you couldn't do on your own. Amen? Amen. Jeez, there is no one like Jesus. No one. There's no, there's no, no category. There's no comparison. There is no one like Jesus. He lived for you before he died for you. Right? He lived for you before he died for you, and you have full access to God for help in times of need. Let's pray. God and Father, we thank you for this day. We love you. Lord, I'm just so humbled to be the son of God. That's what I am. And if you're a Christian here listening, you're a son, a daughter, a child of God by faith in, in Jesus. Lord, help me more fully help us to more fully embrace this great truth that, Lord, we, we have full access. We can come to you with confidence, confidence because of what Jesus Christ has done on our behalf. He, he lived for us, then he died for us so that we might have a close, intimate life-sharing relationship with Almighty God. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, watch this brief video and have a great Sunday.